And good evening, everyone. I want to take this opportunity to welcome you all to this evening's services. As today, we talk about the scariest passage in the Bible. Would you please, first of all, uh, join me in prayer? Then turn over to uh, Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 28. Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 28. In the book of Luke, the Bible reads, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you, to one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also, and from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either, give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good. And lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. You will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be condemned. You will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Let us pray. Our blessed Heavenly Father, we thank you for the message of your word. A message that sometimes, Father, can be difficult for us and we may even deem it impossible. But, Father, also from the message of your word, we find that all things are possible through you, that there are no impossibilities. There is strength in your word. There is power in your message. And, Heavenly Fathers, we have come here together today to worship you, to praise you, and honor you, and glorify you, Father. May we allow that message that you give us to look at all the possibilities that we have before us. Look at all the abilities that you have put within us. Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us this time and this day. These things we pray and thank you for in Christ Jesus' most holy name. Amen and amen.
in my opinion. The reading we just finished in Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 38, is the scariest passage in the Bible. Now, many think that the most frightening verse might be found, or passages might be found in the book of Revelation. For example, you read the book of Revelation, you talk about, we talk rather about the pit, the dragon, the lake of fire. Others might refer to 2 Peter 3, where Peter talks about the end of the world, or perhaps Matthew 24, where Jesus describes the, the terrible suffering and horror of the destruction of Jerusalem, or when he talks about his final coming in glory and power. These passages disturb us because of their dramatic imagery. But since they talk about things that have already uh, either already happened or will happen at some time in the in the distant future, it's easy to for us to blow over them when the reality of this world comes crushing in when we leave this building. Because you see, we can come in here and we can surround ourselves with like-minded people and be surrounded by God in here and we can forget about all of that stuff. But then we get out there and for a brief moment, we forget all about this. And it does indeed come crashing on us. But when I read Luke chapter 26, those verses we just read, verses 27 through 38, I feel uncomfortable. I feel challenged, even frightened for various and specific reasons. And I want to share three of those reasons with you today. Reason number one, the commands are personal. You know, when it gets personal, that's when it really gets rough on us. If we would go and read commentaries on these on this particular passage, most of the time what we find the writer doing is, is trying to water down or even rationalize the things that Jesus is saying. And no wonder, look at the things that our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus is saying to us, to his disciples. Look at what he is telling us that he wants us to do. We look again at verses 27 through 35, and what is Christ Jesus telling us? Love your enemies. Not just loving our enemies at arm's length. No, 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 no. Maybe... Not wishing them harm or or maybe showing, uh, rather sending food packages or even giving donations to people that we've been at war with. He's asking us, he is asking his disciples to love our enemies up close and personal. What is he saying? He says, he say, do good, do good to those who hate you. Not just people that bug you, but do good to people who hate you. He say bless. In other words, say good things about those who say bad things about you. He says pray. Pray for those who have done bad things to you in the past. And when we talk about bad things, what have they done? Man, they've cheated you. They've lied about you. They've hurt you in some way. He says return good for evil. In other words, he wants us to turn the other cheek. He wants us to give the coat. He, he wants us to not demand back what was taken from us. He wants us to resist the impulse, the impulse rather, of giving as good as we get. 
of getting even. He wants us to not fight back with fire. I'd rather fight fire with fire, violence with violence, cheating with cheating. He says, give to people. Even evil ones without expecting that they give you back in the same way of what you deserve. So when we look here, what we find is Christ Jesus is demanding his disciples to do this toward their enemies, which takes us to the second thing that can that makes it scary to me. He says, be merciful. Verses 20, uh, 36 and 37. He says, be merciful. To our enemies, we should do good. To all, we should do, we should be merciful. And he goes on from there and he explains the nature of mercy in that we are to practice this toward all people. We're not to judge. We're not to condemn. We are to be forgiven. Now sometimes, and we all can relate to this, especially us people that's been around in this world for a while and even been in the church for a while. Sometimes our family, both our spiritual family and our physical family, sometimes our friend, both our spiritual friends and our physical friends, sometimes they hurt us, sometimes they annoy us, sometimes they disappoint us. And when that happens, what does Christ Jesus say? We are not to judge. We are not to condemn. What we are to do is forgive them. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is an automatic response that we should have for people who harm us. Loving our enemies and, and, and being merciful to everyone else is it, radical. And it's radical because if you do this, it requires a radical change in us. When we read in the book of Romans about the renewing of our minds and being transformed, that's radical. Because we stop doing the stuff that we're so accustomed to doing and start doing something different. Being merciful removes from our lives the reasons or excuse or rationalization for revenge of any kind. Being merciful makes us completely vulnerable to those who would insult us who or who would take advantage of us. Now, the idea behind all of this is this right here. Our only response to evil is good, not violence, not threats, or worse. We can see that fighting fire with fire, or rather, if we look around in the world today, especially this time of the year and this season, we can see what fighting fire with fire has done in our, in our political discourse in this nation. And it's getting nasty out there. Being merciful, when we think about it, it would see us always obliged to forgive and to seek reconciliation whether the other person asks for it, deserve it, or not. And you know what? That's crazy. That is crazy. That is indeed radical. Now, I don't know about you. 
But I do know about James. I've been living with James now for about 67 years. So I don't know about you. But that would require a radical change in my life. It has required a radical change in my life. You see, there was a time, and I know nobody else was like this, but there was a time when, when James wanted to get even. I didn't want anyone to hurt me without paying some kind of a price for that hurt. I needed to feel secure that no one would insult me or hurt me or cheat me or take my position without a fight. I would forgive, but only if the other person repented and asked for forgiveness. Then I would say I probably, maybe, possibly would be willing to forgive. That was James then. James in the past, if you will. The changes that Jesus is asking for, they are radical because they strike at every core of my pride and my security as a human being. They ask me to humble myself, to become completely vulnerable, and to take on a gentleness that is completely foreign to me. And really, all of us can say this about ourselves. I don't know about you. But that's scary. That makes me afraid. The third reason why this passage is the scariest passage in the Bible is this. It's impossible. It's impossible. We may have grasped these ideas in our head, but have they work their way into our hearts. In other words, have we gone about the business of connecting with the reality of what this passage means? Can you love and say good things about people who hate you and have done bad things to you? Can you do nothing if someone slaps you in the face? How about if they insult your spouse? Can you do nothing? How about they cheat your child out of a credit your child deserve? Can you then turn the other cheek? Can you give every time someone asks? Can you forgive and love those who don't care if you forgive them and have the audacity to tell you so? It's one thing when the other person says, look, I'm sorry. I would never hurt you. I was just upset and I wasn't thinking. You know how it can be. Please forgive me. Will you be able to say, okay, come here. Let me give you a, well, I used to say, let me give you a hug. Now we say, let me give you an elbow. Will you be able to forgive that person? What about the guy who says, or the person who says, I don't care how you feel, keep your forgiveness. You know what you can do with your forgiveness. Are you going to be able to forgive that person? If someone borrows something, can you not demand it back even if you need it? Can you just say good things about people even people that you don't like. This passage 
This passage is scary. And I'll say this again because it's impossible. Who can be like this all the time? And the answer is nobody. Nobody can be like this all the time. So it's pretty scary when the Lord demands us to do something that's impossible. But you know, you think back when uh, Christ Jesus said this right here, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, a lot of people look at that and they stop right there and they go, hmm. But if you keep reading, you see Christ Jesus saying this right here, with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. So then, if it's impossible, think about that for a moment. Then why did Jesus say we should do this? Let me give you two reasons for that. Two reasons. Number one, Jesus is weeding out the true disciples from the fakes. The person who hears these words and and thinks he is already doing them or can do them, is a self-righteous fool. The person who says, yeah, I can do that, no problem. That person is living in a dreamland. The person who hears these words and think that they are impossible to do and quits the Lord is one who has no faith. The one who hears these words, ignores them, and calls himself a Christian anyways is a hypocrite. And what he's saying is this right here. He didn't really mean that. God really didn't mean that. It's not really for me. But, but, the person who hears the words and sees that they are beyond his or her ability and cries out to God for help, This is the person who truly hears. This is the person who truly understands. This is the true disciple. I need you to turn your ears back to the first century for a moment. We've read this many times, I'm certain, about the man who came to Christ Jesus and his son was back at another location and he was very ill and he wanted Christ Jesus' help. I want you to listen and see if you can hear the words of this father. Can you hear the words of the father whose son again was ill and nobody could cure him? Can you hear what Jesus says to him? Jesus says, if you believe, can you hear the man's reply? I believe, but help my belief. Can you not hear the cry of of anguish from that father? Okay, I believe, I believe anything. Please take care of my son. What is he saying? What is he saying? I know I have to believe, but I can't get there. I can't get there. Lord, please help me get there. Jesus gives these words to weed out the fakes, the hypocrites, and the fools. Another reason he's bringing us this. Jesus has given us, if you will, a glimpse of the kingdom that is fully developed in us. You might say it's a preview. 
It's a preview. These words represent a person who is totally dependent on God. Totally dependent on God, but at the same time, totally vulnerable. At the same time, totally removed from the world while still in it. At the same time, totally filled with love for others without regard for self. These words, these words show the pure spirit of Christ as he was and, and as we can become through him. When Christ Jesus says these words, he's holding up an image, if you will. And he's saying, this is you in the future. This is you in the future. Think about that for a moment. This is who I want you to be and who I will enable you to become. Christ Jesus loved his enemies. He gave without thought of return. He did not resist the evil that was that he was sent here to bear on this earth. Yet he forgave those who hated him even while they were hating on him. In this passage, Christ Jesus literally describes his own personality, but not only that, he also describes the character that his disciples will eventually take on as they continue, as we continue to follow him. Christ Jesus is challenging us. He is challenging us. He is challenging his disciples to believe that with God, all things are possible, even the impossible. Things like walking on water. Things like eating his flesh and his blood. Things like being a man or a woman of the kingdom. You know, in this world that we live in, in a world without law and order, it would be impossible to be as vulnerable as this passage says. If we were that vulnerable living in this world, look what would be happening. We'd be killed, we'd be robbed, we'd be crushed immediately. But God, God has provided law and government to protect and to Render justice in the world. That law also protects Christians. It's not perfect. It's not evenly distributed. But it's there. Christians cannot seek revenge. But we can seek protection under the law. Christians have a right to a fair justice that God has provided to everyone living in this world. Can we practice the love of enemies and the doing of good within the context and the protection of law and order? In a world where we would have to provide for ourselves freely given without demanding a return would be foolish and costly. But God, God, God promises us that he will provide. Uh, you know, the other day in the uh, the men's class, we were talking about Abraham and Isaac. And uh, I love Isaac. 
when they were going up on the mountain, he looked at Pops and he said, uh, we have fire and we have wood. Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham's response was, the Lord will provide. Back in the days of Abraham, God was Jehovah Jireh. Today, God is still Jehovah Jireh. God still provides. He not only provides for our needs, but all for, also rather for our acts of giving as well, as we read in 2 Corinthians 9 at verse 8. We can practice charity with the assurance that God will provide the charity that we give in a world of payback, which is the only way to protect oneself in the world, where forgiveness is painful and seen as a sign of weakness. God offers his son, he offers our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in public disgrace as a sacrifice for our personal sins to obtain our forgiveness This is done also as an example for us to follow. So I have a question. Has anyone, anyone, anyone ever had to suffer as much or endure as great a humiliation as Christ Jesus in order, in order to accomplish forgiveness? When was the last time you're having to say, I'm sorry? When was the last time you're having to say, please forgive me? When was the last time you're having to say, I forgive you, cost as much as it cost Christ Jesus? If you're ever in a situation where someone has harmed you, and you are working on the strength to be able to forgive them, just take a moment. Take a moment and compare what has happened to you with what happened to him. Compare how much this is costing you to forgive this person to what it cost Christ Jesus to offer forgiveness for all of us. And when you get your answer, what it's going to do is put this all in a spiritual perspective for you. The words in Luke chapter 6, those verses that we read, are impossible without Christ. But with Christ, they become possible. They even become desirable as we are changed into his character. Luke chapter 6, those words, they are impossible for the earthly, for the human, for the temporal person. And these scary words become possible for the heavenly, for the spiritual, for eternal beings that we are becoming in Christ Jesus. The Lord, our Lord, is weeding out his followers. And he is continually doing this. And we think, well, 
He was weeding out the apostles. He was weeding out those in the first century. But the work is not done. The work of weeding out, a pruning, continues to this day. He prunes churches. He prunes individuals. He prunes you and he prunes me. That work is always happening. If we could see our life in this context, that context being everything that happens in our lives is taking place through the sovereignty, through the authority, and through the knowledge of God. How is this serving us in our development as kingdom dwellers? That's the question we need to ask ourselves. We don't need to be saying, oh dear, oh dear, because of this, I can't do this anymore in this world. Or I can't do that anymore in this world. Or I can't achieve this earthly objective. We forget that's not what we are about. We are about living in the kingdom. We are about building the kingdom. Everything that happens, everything that happens to us happens according to what we are doing in the kingdom. Even this lesson that we are listening to tonight is is a pruning process for those of us who are sitting here in the auditorium, as well as those who have joined us on the internet, those who are listening to this. We are all being pruned with the word of God. Do you feel comfortable with these words? Do you feel comfortable with these words? You people who are sitting here, you people who are sitting in your living rooms listening to this, do you want to quit? Does it make you want to quit? Do you even hear what's being said at all? Are you saying to yourself, Lord, help me. Lord, let me be able to do these things. Jesus, this is impossible to do without you. Is that what you're saying? Jesus, our Lord and Savior, gives us a scary passage. He gives us a difficult moment so we will be forced to let go of the possible, so that we will be forced to let go of the probable, so that we will be forced to let go of the just do it or the fear no attitude of this world and cling to him, cling to him in faith in order to achieve the spiritually radical and seemingly impossible things of our life in the kingdom. If you need him to help you with the impossibles in your life, then you are encouraged. You are encouraged to come forward now for prayer, for encouragement, for conversion, for repentance, for baptism. If you're listening to us via internet, you are encouraged to pick up the phone and give us a call.
Talk to us. Let us pray with you and for you. Let us encourage you. Let us help you with your conversion. Let us help you with your repentance. Let us help you with your baptism if that is the need. Whatever your need, remember the place to come to achieve these needs is at the feet of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.